It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How are you? It's a small question and also a massive one at the moment, freighted with so much meaning. All of us, everywhere, are living through a common experience with the coronavirus pandemic, but our responses to it are uniquely our own. And it only dawned on me this week that none of us really know with certainty how we've been affected since all of the people, places and things of our lives were upended. None of this is easy. So it feels like we should all take time, even as things open back up a bit, to ask ourselves that question, how are you? I'm David Taylor, and this week on the Slow News Podcast, I'm talking to Alistair Campbell, who these days is as well known for his candour about his mental health as he was for being a sweary spin doctor for Tony Blair. He's had a pretty eventful lockdown. He was supposed to publish a book on mental health in May, but like so many best laid plans in 2020, it got put on hold. So instead of all the trappings of a book launch, he set about a project where he rounded up a few people he knows for some mental health chats. Living better in lockdown, he called it. They're all pretty well-known figures from sport, culture and politics, all of the obsessions of his life, really. So you'll hear from a couple of Olympic champions a couple of politicians and a few others. But it's more than just a lockdown special of Through the Keyhole. In the end, it revealed a lot about Campbell's own mental health during the pandemic. And talking to him and editing his article for Tortoise made me recognise something about how I'd been behaving. That I've been using cooking as a source of calm and comfort during lockdown. I made a lasagna last weekend. I made the pasta, kneaded it, rested it, rolled it, cut it, cooked it, cooled it, Instagrammed it. I made three sauces and constructed it in nine layers. It took half a day, but it was soothing to make, nice to spend time with, and when it came out of the oven, it felt like a hug. I can't share my pasta with you, but I can encourage you to have a listen to this and then maybe stop and just listen to yourself for a moment and think about your coping strategies. As we like to say at Tortoise, slow down, wise up, and buy a pasta machine. Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher, in an app, online, 
in our daily SenseMaker email and, as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news, and we'd love for you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism, and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download our app and take the free trial. Go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial and help make the news. So I'm speaking to Alistair Campbell and I have to ask, how are you? <laughs> I am fine. I've had a very, very rough month um, in the head, uh, really rough at times. And um, I think I'm through it. And it's a nice feeling when you are. I've had it many, many times before. And um, the worst thing when you're in it is you, you just, even though you know you've got through it before, you have this feeling that this is your life forever. And that's when you start to think about, I just can't live like this. And so, and, but the feeling when you come out of it is very, very nice. And um, I know this sounds daft, but I, th- I think the, it was starting to lift definitely at the end of last week and through the weekend. But I actually got to my first football match last night. I was commentating on the Burnley game. And uh, just it wasn't just the football and the fact we won. It was, get, it was actually getting out and starting to feel I was doing something a bit normal, even though the football experience itself was utterly abnormal. I mean, really, really weird. Like all of us, you know, you've mostly stayed in in the past four months, but you've definitely been on quite an intense journey. You've been just so prolific in terms of writing, broadcasting, even, I think, original compositions on the bagpipes. Um, and, and then you've done this project, Living Better in Lockdown. What was interesting was that of all the celebrities, the famous people, all of whom I know personally, by the way, and I've known for some time, most of them, <clears throat> virtually all of them had not reacted in lockdown like I thought they would. Really interesting. So, for example, Kelly Holmes, who I thought would really struggle, she said she's, she felt she's found her new purpose in life. So, Kelly, first question, how are you? I am good, thank you. Good to see you, for sure. It's lovely. <laughs> you seem smiling. That's always good. No, I'm actually quite good, to be honest. So I've, um, you know, like people say, you adapt to your new environment. It's almost like... I thought that okay, was so like, interesting that, you know, you, 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 there she is, you know, double Olympic gold, and you think you could probably kick back at that point, um, having achieved something. And, and yeah, you were saying that, um, that, that she, she's been doing these incredible sort of communal exercise classes that have turned into therapy sessions for everyone yeah and she said that she thinks her purpose in life now she actually said i think my i think my destiny now she said is to is to show people that not being normal is normal and that it's fine no i just i just really feel like you know i used to always say i think i spoke to you before that i thought my destiny was always to win olympic gold after you know 20 years of dreaming but i actually don't I think it was part of my journey. I really believe now that, you know, people like yourself and other people who can just be authentic with who they are, you know. As you know, I've been speaking about my first breakdown was 2003. This isn't new to me. This isn't something that I'm just jumping on a bandwagon. I absolutely believe that I have a position in life to be able to just be normal with what some people think is an abnormal situation in their life and kind of just explain that it is normal to be different and to have problems. And then people are now starting to realise that you can struggle in life 
but you can also work out a strategy for yourself to navigate around the issues that evolve and you can either let them completely destroy you forever or you can find brightness and you know lightness in some of the areas that you can help yourself move through it and some will continue to go on and some won't so what she does is is that she does these exercises and of course she's still incredibly fit and she knows how to get people going but she's a great motivator she sort of says you know she she'll kick you up the ass if it's not if you're not doing it properly but then what happens at the end is people just hang on and they say kelly i'm not feeling very well what do you mean oh, i just feel really lonely or some people saying that you know i'm just on such a downer or you know i'm really not enjoying being with my family stuff like that and so no, I think she's fantastic. I love Kelly Holmes. But... So I took the tap that I know a lot of people are now going to feel lost and a lot of people's mental health would decline. And what are two of the really good things that help mental health? Connection, communication and fitness. Yeah. And so I figured that if I could be of any value, one for my mental health, but also others, I could inspire people to keep motivated. So I started to do live feeds and I was never doing live before this. And now I've done... I think we worked out 148 live sessions mm. since lockdown. And what it's building is a community of people. People are actually going, oh my gosh, you know, this is the one thing I like to wake up and think you're going to bring, you know, positivity to my life and yeah. <laughs> kick me up the arse. And so I've enjoyed that and it's helped me. And I've been very open on my feeds to say, you know, me doing this for you has actually helped me as well. So it's a win-win. There was this moment in your interview with Gary Lineker when he talks about his dog who died a few months ago. What struck me was how he was reliving a real moment of loss. And then he was able to think about the positives of lockdown, like his experiments in the kitchen. Funny enough, I was I was talking about this just um, the other day, and I've got a couple of pictures of him over the over there. He's looking at me. He's one. It's one of those pictures like the Mona Lisa, wherever I'm in the room, he's looking at me. But um, which he always did. Um, and of all the times to you know, he, he passed what six months ago. Um, of all the times to that I would have you know loved. I always loved his company, but this would have been the perfect time. So yeah, I could. I've so missed his company. Um, so many times I looked up his pictures and got got a little bit weepy. Yeah. What um, are you good on your own though? Because I mean, I'm not sure I could cope living on my yeah. own. Um, I'm. I am. A, I'm a bit. I'm, I would say I'm a loner. I mean, I love company, and the one thing I've missed during this is actually you know going out for a meal with mates, um, and uh, probably more than anything else, or a bit of social, going out, a couple of drinks, whatever. Um, so I've missed that a lot, but I'm all right on my own. Yeah, I don't, you know, mentally I'm fine. I, I've also kind of started doing a few desserts, a bit of baking. Um, I've been a keen cook for, for years, but I never got into desserts. I sort of wish I hadn't <laughs> because <laughs> if you've got desserts, you end up eating them and then have to go more in the gym. But, and, but isn't that a very sort of, doesn't that feel isolating if you're, if you're cooking, but you just did it for yourself? Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't cook at all, so I don't know the sort Great. of technology. But. Yeah, no, but I love it. I find it cathartic and I do. I cook it myself. In fact, when I'm on my own, it's the time I can practice something new right. so that eventually when the boys, you know, come around and they come around now because you know, it's straight into the garden and it's a good time to experiment when you're on your own and if it goes wrong it 
doesn't matter that much. So, you know, you practice it. It's like, it's like training, isn't it? You train a bit and get ready for the game at the weekend when it really matters. So you've never had what you would recognise as a kind of, you know, overwhelming low mood? I've had, no, no, I've, I've had low moods. Um, and, and obviously there are times where I've, I've been worried about things. I've had a bit of anxiety um, over one or two things in my life, but generally quite serious things. You know, when George was ill, that, 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 that was brutally difficult, and that was a real low. Um, obviously, I have a couple of divorces, which is, is, is never easy, even though I'm, I'm very amicable with both. Um, so, yeah, there's been, there's, life is full of ups and downs. You know, and people say, I want happiness and happiness. I always think, you know, happiness is fleeting. It, it kind of comes and it goes. But my personality, my trait, my character is that I, I'm, I'm fairly stable. I don't get too up when things are good and I don't get too down. Uh, when things uh, are bad, obviously, you know, I've lost, I've lost my parents. We talked about my dog. I mean, I cried my eyes out with things like that. But I, I think there's a difference between being upset and and probably depression. So, um, so who surprised you the most? Who surprised me the most? I think there were, I think Jeff Stelling surprised me the most. He's always that full of energy guy on TV, isn't he? Hey! goodness for that we don't have to interrupt Alan. oh but he's and he's also he's like you know he's, he's one of those guys that you know i once in a 2005 election i think it was we had this advertising agency meeting for all the labor people before the campaign and it was one of these sort of fancy winky wanky brainstorms and and one of the guys said you know if this campaign was a person who is it and you had people saying, you know, Mandela or Blair or Brown or Clinton or whatever. And I said, Jeff Stelling. And most of them didn't know who the hell I was talking about. And, but when I explained it, I said, listen, Jeff Stelling is this guy. is the most amazing broadcaster. He's incredible. And what is he? He's humane. He's passionate. He's incredibly focused on detail. But he makes it accessible to everybody. He's liked by working class and middle class people alike. He's an innovator. So I was coming out with all this stuff. And, you know, he is, I think he's an amazing broadcaster and, and, a, and a really nice guy. But, you know, he really, he was really struggling. He was really struggling. Jeff, how are you? Morning, Alistair. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Um, coping with everything. I don't know as a, are, you know, I'm not saying he was like mentally ill. I'm simply saying as somebody, myself, who gets depression, I could feel a lot of what he was feeling. Um, and even some, of the, even some of the ways he described it, you know, I wake up and I have no motivation. I go for a walk, but I'm pretending to myself that I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, I, I, I've, I've, I really feel lost without the focus of work. You know, it was incredible. And so that, that was a very, I found that really powerful. You know, I get up in the mornings and I totally lack motivation at the moment because Monday is the same as Tuesday, which is the same as Friday, which is the same as Saturday. And even when I have got things to do, to be honest, I don't really want to do them anymore because I, I so lack that motivation. And um, it, it's almost like a premature retirement for me, but it's a premature retirement without, without all the things that I would do in retirement, you know? There's no focus. There is no focal point. My focal point is always working towards a, a Saturday afternoon. I, I worked um, 
since I was 18, Alistair, I've worked for 47 years and I've barely had a day off. And I mean that until this season, I'd only ever had two Saturdays in 20 odd years off um, outside of the football season. And, and that, that's gone. There is no focal point. And that's, that's the main thing I've been struggling with. I think the other one who really surprised was David Harewood, the actor. He's another one that I was worried about because he's like me. He's had quite a history of mental ill health. And, and I just thought the shock of it all. I think, I think he found it a struggle at first, but then he really enjoyed it. And what he enjoyed was the fact that he didn't have to feel bad about saying no all the time because you said no to everything. Um, so he, he, he was good. And then, you know, Deborah Meaden, she was loving it. She, Josh Whittacombe was very funny because he clearly felt really, really guilty about the fact that he was quite enjoying it. He felt guilty about the fact that his parents were, you know, had to take it more seriously. He felt guilty about the fact that he wasn't sort of <laughs> terrible all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think everybody reacted in very, very, very different ways. And, and that, I guess it's inevitable, but David Harewood made the point. I thought it was a fascinating observation, really. He made the point that it's probably the first time in our lifetime and possibly the first time in human history that everybody in the world has been focusing on the same thing as a kind of concern. You know, literally every country, every government in the world, this has been top of their agenda. If you think, if you had a single meaningful conversation in the last three months where you've not talked about COVID. Mm. And, and as, you, as he said, I think, um, and all of us have responded in our own ways as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was fascinating. Mario Toji, he's, 20, he's only 25. I mean, because he's such a big guy and he's so successful in the rugby field, people underestimate that. He's only 25. But I thought there was a real wisdom to the way he talked about, you know, how he thought about himself. And he said that really interesting thing about, you know, he's been having almost like real conversations between Mario Toji, age 25, and Mario Toji, age 17. And using that to think about where Maro Itoji, age 30 or 35, wants to be. And I think that's just a really, you know, it's not often, as Deborah Meaden said, it's not often that you actually have the time to be able to sit down and have that sort of conversation with yourself. Maro, first question, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, it's been uh, very, very interesting times in which we're living in. But on a whole, I'm well. Have you enjoyed lockdown? I've, I have in certain respects, I've found lockdown, you know, I've, I've gone through waves, to be honest. So initially I was, I felt as if I lacked a little bit of purpose, I lacked a little bit of direction. Um, then I became at ease with the new reality and I was just finding ways to keep myself occupied, but also enjoy the the downtime because often in life life moves at such a pace which is really hard to reflect really hard to take stock and lockdown gave me those opportunities to do so so what when you've been reflecting what have you learned about yourself or about anything um i think i've i've i, I reflected to when i was 18 um when i was 18 or 17 and I, I asked myself, the position you're in today, if you told yourself at 18 or 17, you'll be there, like, how would that 18 or 17 year old feel? <clears throat> and I would take it, grab it with both hands, 
kick, scream, fight, scratch <laughs> to, uh, to, to get there. And it's, it just made me realize that, you know, you always have goals, you always have aspirations, you always have things that you want to press on and do and continue to grow and continue to, um, continue to strive, continue to achieve. But it's nice sometimes to actually take stock on of like what your situation is and, and be grateful for. And not only that, also be like very thankful. Um, you know, 2020 is, is a unusual year to say the least. And a lot of things are happening all over the world. And um, at the end of the day, my family are healthy. Um, my friends are safe. So um, I have a lot to be thankful and grateful for. And so that, but that sense of kind of gratitude and serenity that you seem to have, is that something you've always had? Or do you think you've been, maybe the, space, the time and the space has made you think about it more deeply? Yes, 100%. I think I've been a lot more reflective in this period during lockdown, during quarantine much more so than normal life when things were going at um, 100 miles per hour. With, with the way, as you know, with the way professional sport works is, you know, you, you work towards a certain goal. As soon as that goal is either accomplished or not accomplished, or as, soon as, it's, as soon as the event has taken place, you immediately switch focus to the next goal. So then all your attention goes to that goal, then you immediately switch focus to the next goal. And I've kind of been on that kind of journey from pretty much 2013 when I became a professional. So it's been seven or so years where I've been, okay, this goal, I need to do this. I want to play for the Junior World Cup. I want to play for England. I want to play for Sizes. I want to win trophies. I want to win the World Cup and you're always switching, switching, switching um, goals etc and I think this time with this, the season being um, halted and especially with the, our own individual situation with SARS it's just given us or especially myself Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. 
Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. A bit more time for reflection mm. and a bit more time to just, just to properly analyse everything. When you think about how you reacted to lockdown, has it gone as you expected it to? I've definitely responded, you know, partly how I thought I would, but also there's been a lot of um, strangers to it. Um, you know, at the start, I felt vaguely superior because actually I'd worked out where this thing was heading long before that clown Johnson did. So I, shield, I, I was actually, I, I went into lockdown with the family um, the day of sport relief. I did sport relief in Manchester and I thought, this is not right. This is really good. There's something really bad here and it's going to be, and it's going to get a lot worse. And because I'm asthmatic, I've had two brothers who've died from respiratory illnesses. I thought I've got to look after myself. And so, um, so that was what middle of March. So that was that phase. And then there was the kind of slight novelty phase, loving the birds, loving the, you know, the fact that there was more wildlife around all that stuff. Loving the fact, actually, that I was—I realised that being at home, this is a stroke of luck, that I was actually at home with the one person I could probably live with for 24 hours a day. Uh, that's quite a bonus when you sort of realise that. The dog being really happy that we're both here the whole time. I mean, all that was all great and novel. And then I, I didn't go through a scary phase, which a lot of people did. I went, I went into this manic phase. So, so you, the manic phase was presumably when you were, um, you were sending out... Um, articles um across the world and the th- the thing that i i think stopped me in my tracks though re- reading and editing the piece was that um you were really you, you were brought low after you interviewed david lammy who's a political friend and someone you admire i wonder if you just tell us what happened well i was already starting to get low i was i was feeling my mood dipping i was feeling my energy levels going a bit and David was one of the two politicians I interviewed for this series, him and Nicola Sturgeon. And the thing that the conversation I had with David, I think part of it was because David's such a positive life force. But, you know, I don't know whether people know this, but David gets depression as well. Um, now, I know that. He um, doesn't get it. Like, I don't think he gets it like I get it and that I get it kind of on and off quite a lot. He's had two or three really bad episodes in his life. And... But I was looking to him, I think, when we first connected. I thought, right, David's going to put me in a better mood. That'll be fine. David? <laughs> David, how are you? I'm very well, very well, Alice. Despite lockdown and being trapped in North London, um, it turns out I quite like my three kids and my wife. So it's okay. It's all good. And they like me, which is nice. <laughs> and he actually said something that really, 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 it was like, it was like a bullet. You know, it's an obvious thing to say in a way, but he said that what he'd found really hard in this period was just realizing that, to be absolutely frank, there's not much we can do to stop these wretched Tories. They're going to do what they want. They're going to get away with what they what they can. I adore the kids, but the sort of struggle to, with their homework and the balance. I've just not been able to find the moments that I would normally find to myself, even though. I'm a busy member of parliament, even just sort of putting the headphones in and being on the tube on your way to work on the commute. Um, there are moments in politics where you have to read and reflect. Anyway, you're on your own. And basically there hasn't been that much of that. And that, that has got me down at times. 
And are you are you somebody who gets down? You use that phrase, go, go me down. Do you get down like I get yes, down? Yes, I do. Um, now, my down periods come in sort of episodes that go on for months, in particular years. So there are sort of four or five times in my life that I've got very down. Um, and one or two times where I've had to take medication because I've got so down. Um, fortunately, touch wood, I haven't been down, very down, for, for, for a while. But I, I, I am definitely someone who, you know, I embrace the blues. And I actually love the blues and love jazz and kind of understand that musical because I, I'm someone who knows, you know, the blues can come over me. And sometimes and, they're black clouds that can come over. Right. And, 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 but, and during the lockdown, you've had a bit of the blues rather than the big black cloud. No, no big black clouds, thank God. But I've had, I've had a bit of the blues. And how, how have you coped? I, I think this is a bit of a personal therapy question, really. How have you coped with the politics of all this? Because it is absolutely doing my head in just how shit this government is and how they just sort of carry on regardless. Alistair, I've talked to you about this before. You know, the politics of where we are has been a sort of growing um, nightmare um, now for several years. And for me, to be honest, um, it started with the referendum and Brexit. The other thing that's happened, which I should say in terms of mental health, is, is grief. You know, it's impossible now to be black in Britain and not know someone who's died. I've lost an uncle um couldn't go to the funeral the funeral was on zoom um i've lost um a classmate um many friends parents of friends and things who, who died um and and it's and it's all been it's just horrendous and the nightmare continues and actually the other thing that's happening and this might well take me into a black cloud is is sort of coming to terms with the fact that the Labour Party is a long way from power because the majority that Boris had is massive. So he can do anything, you know, and you sort of feel slightly impotent. You know, he can do absolutely anything. Um, actually, better the point, he can do nothing. <laughs> so, you know, um, all the Black Lives Matter, nada is he doing, except banging on about Winston Churchill. Mm. Uh, for obvious reasons, to take the take the stuff off off the news. So, and, and that's actually that's tough stuff to come to terms with, because you know you're giving up your job day to day. You want to make things happen, and actually, you know, in the last parliament under Brexit, it was tiny majorities. You could you could actually feel quite powerful if you're backbench like me. This 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 parliament now, he's got four years, and it's not on it's not on the agenda you and I share. And I, so I guess you find yourself strangely this business of sort of returning to the things you can control, your family life, go for a walk, you're out in nature, you stay in touch with your friends because the rest is, you're sort of reacting to events. You know, it did, I say in the piece, it hit me like a kind of thump in the solar plexus. And I just, after the call, I remember just sort of sitting there and it was one of those, you know, this, this list of all the articles that I've done, it suddenly came to a stop. I just, I just lost all energy. I thought, fuck it, you know, what's the point? And once you, when you're in that mood, when you hit that what's the point moment, it becomes 
perm- you're constantly asking yourself, what is the point? What is the point of getting out of bed? What is the point of... And you were no longer then getting out of bed and being um, and writing 10,000 no. words. And you realise as well that you've been doing that probably. Yes, it's because you believe it and you feel it, but also psychologically you've been doing it to stave it off. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 this, and again, the, the other thing which is rather surprising uh, is that uh, about your own journey through this is that it was your interview with Nicola Sturgeon that brought you out of it and, uh, and I think completely surprised you in that respect. Well, it was definitely part of it. And again, you know, it's never a simple thing. Right. But I was probably starting to come out anyway. I've been, I have managed to keep exercising every day and that's been important. Um, I've been sleeping a lot, which is, you know, is also quite important. Um, but what happened with Nicola Sturgeon was that I'd, 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 I'd sent her a message saying, you know, would she be up for doing it? She said, yeah, if she can get the time, fine. And then we had a date in the diary right at the height of when I was feeling really, really, really bad. And actually this sofa where I'm sitting talking to you now, I was lying down here literally all day and there's a spotlight up there. And I was just looking at that spotlight for hours. And I was saying to myself, should I listen to some music? No. Should I read a book? No. Should I write something? Definitely not. Uh, should I go for a walk? No. So I'm just looking at this fucking... <laughs> there, right? And so I got a message from Jenny, her diary secretary, saying, look, I'm really sorry, but she's, she's, something's turned up. She can't do the thing today. Can we do it next week? And I've never felt such relief. <laughs> and so by the time we did it, I was starting to feel better. And the thing was, we just had a really, really good chat. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, do you want the honest answer or the bullshit answer? Uh, give me the honest answer. <laughs> Pretty shit. Yeah. And I got a lot of flack. I always do from my Labour friends, particularly some Labour friends in Scotland, because I, you know, I, I, I wrote a piece about it and I put some of the clips on Twitter and they said, you know, why are you promoting this awful nationalist woman? She's trying to destroy the UK, blah, 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 blah. But I've got to speak as a find and I, and I do find a, a very empathetic person. So I actually want to kick off by just asking you straight out, how are you? I'm okay. Um, you'll know this uh, from past experience, the nature of what I do and, and the pace and the intensity of what I do on a daily basis, particularly now, doesn't give me a lot of time to step back and assess how I am, which is maybe a good thing and maybe sometimes not so good a thing, but I'm okay. It's a, it's a stressful period for everybody and I'm not immune from that. I'm suffering the stresses and strains of what we're all going through just now, but just getting on with it. Picked up on the map, the, the doormat this morning was this, which arrived. Oh. And you're in it. You do say in there that this thing has kind of s- sort of slightly shifted your perspective on things. I mean, what, what do you mean by that? Um, what I think I also said in there is that I haven't had time to properly process and decide what I mean by that. It's just a, a really kind of strong sense I have inside that, you know, I'm not going to come out of this exactly the same as I was when I went into it. I think inevitably it is shifting my perspective on things. It, is making me reevaluate what's important in life and what's maybe not quite so important. And I think it probably is lowering my tolerance to some of the nonsense of politics. I'm a politician to my fingertips. I know how important, you know, uh, rigorous debate is, the battle of ideas. But a lot of modern politics is not really about that. It's just about chucking mud at each other and, you know, 
forcing yourself to always believe the worst of of your opponent and I think my tolerance of that certainly at the moment is a bit lower than it was previously and and who knows I might get over that but I hope not in some ways because I think everybody right now given this we're all experiencing it differently but it's an opportunity for all of us just to reassess things a bit. How has it changed your life on a kind of day-to-day basis? I mean you're in the office now yeah? I'm in the office now. Um, I'm in St Andrews. Presumably for quite a long period you were working at home the same as everybody else. Um, I've been staying at home but working in the office um, because I've, I've had to be here to do daily media briefings and, and obviously sort of oversee the whole operation from the Scottish Government. So I've, I've been in St Andrew's house here. Is, I've, I've probably spent more time in here than I have at home. I've, I've definitely spent more time in here than I have at home over the past three months. Um, my So I suppose what's changed, I mean, the, the life of a First Minister, like the life of any leader of a government, is pretty manic and busy and, and frenetic anyway. Um, in some ways, it's been more intense because we're dealing with one big, massive thing that just involves so many different angles and decisions and, and considerations. But in another way, it's been, you know, so I'm not out and about the way I would normally be. I'm not off visiting, you know, workplaces and schools and hospitals. So being very much focused here has been has been different as well. But, you know, the, the magnitude of what we're dealing with, the, you know, to be blunt about it the, the death and the you know the loss of life and the suffering and the sorrow of it all I think you'd have to be a particularly strange kind of human being not to have that deeply deeply impact on you and and affect you are you somebody who generally does manage to keep a pretty stable mood you are you yeah. somebody who's by and large you're always of the the same mindset um I have my ups and downs uh, like everybody I, I have days where I feel that things are are more on top of me than others and, and days where I feel in a, a kind of happier disposition than others. But generally I am uh, I am able to keep a reasonable equilibrium around all of that. And I, I have, and I'm very blessed in this and long may it continue, a, a sort of deep reserve of, of energy, physical and, and mental energy and a resilience, I think, that uh, has stood me in good stead. But I don't underestimate the, the impact of something like this or, or just a a period of time for any leader of of the, that constant pressure, the impact that that can have, and and the need to occasionally remember that you are only human and need to have the same or take the same uh, steps to to look after yourself. And have you affected? Have you have you felt it affecting you personally in, in any kind of psychological way? Um, I, I I think so. I don't want to overstate this, but nor do I want to underplay it. I, I don't think I I do the daily briefing for the Scottish government every day, um, and that's something a decision I took. And I think it's been important in trying to have a consistency of message. Uh, but that involves every single day standing up and and talking about reporting on numbers of people who have lost their lives and and answering questions to the effect of has that level of loss of life been. A, impacted or affected by decisions I've taken and could it have been changed if I'd taken different decisions. I think it's very hard uh, and maybe there are some people who can be completely unaffected by that. I'm not sure I would want to be the kind of person that is completely unaffected by that. So I've, I've felt the weight of this much more than anything else I have, have dealt with and, and I think probably always will to some extent. And what did you take away from your interview with Nicola Sturgeon? I think what was really interesting for me, I felt that both David Lammy 
and Nicola Sturgeon. I found them both very reflective, even though they both said they didn't have to, they haven't yet had time to really to think on it. It's funny how little things can just trigger you into a better place. So I sent it to some of the, the you know, the publishers sent it out to some of the media and, I, and they asked me to sort of contact a few journalists and blah, blah, blah. And I sent it to James Matthews, who's Scotland's Skies correspondent. And I said, I know you get access to it the whole time, but, you know, there might be something interesting in this for you. And he sent me a really nice message back and he said, we do get a lot of access, but I tell you, you don't often hear, often hear a talking like that. And that kind of just, I know it sounds ridiculous, cause, but when your confidence and your, and your sense of energy has been really, really low, like on the floor, getting that sort of message just kind of, it, it sort of just made me sit up and think, oh God, that was, I did a really good job there. And, you know, when I'm low, I need two things. I need, I just need a little bit of validation from people that I like. And interestingly, the response to the Sturgeon interview, one of the things we talked about was sort of getting trolled and abused the whole time on social media. But actually what was really interesting about the interview, the clips that we put on social media, the, the reaction was overwhelmingly positive for her and for me. And it was like, so that just, when you're looking for things to bring you out of a really low mood. So that definitely, that was, that was when I started to feel, yeah, I'm, I'm coming out of the fog here. It's definitely true. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, we've all had days where, you know, you're, you're very purposeful in the morning and then you, you will feel a little bit bereft by the afternoon. It's, um, it, it's not a, it's not a smooth journey. This is it. No, not at all, not at all. But I've definitely, I've, I've definitely learned from talking to all those people. I've done certain things differently. So, for example, even though I probably do spend, like Gary Lineker, too much time on social media, I've spent a lot less time on it in the last few weeks. I've actually, I did watch all the briefings, and, and even though my daughter said it was a form of self-harm, which it was, um, but I've, I don't watch the, I watch Channel 4 News once a day, and that's it. I don't. I don't watch anything else. I don't listen to anything during the day. The dog, the dog and the relationship with the dog, and it sounds this ridiculous, but seeing the dog so happy on literally 24 hours a day is just like, I've, I've actually started to worry about the separation anxiety for her when, when we get back. Music's been a huge gift for me, huge. Who have you been listening to? Not just listening, but playing. I play the bagpipes, and I've been, I've been, I've been writing tunes, and also I got involved in this Scaryvore, this band that put together a charity single, and I got involved with them, and I was playing on it, and it got to number one, and and so, but no music, music. I mean, I've always loved music, and I, I listen to music all the time, but I play and I play music. So I, I probably play my bagpipes most days, and when I'm depressed, um, music's, you know. I've got a, I've got lots of mottos when I'm depressed, and one of them is listen to the music, not the news. I like that. I will take that away. Actually, I do like that. Um, I tell you what I've learned um, reading your piece, and it was that um, I think that I'm still processing the ups and downs of lockdown and the impact it's had. And I realised, um, you know, I've been cooking obsessively and taking on big ambitious things in the kitchen. As like well. Gary Lineker. Uh, like Gary Lineker with his desserts, yeah. And, you know, I hate, I almost, I'm embarrassed to say this, but um, 
uh, I was awake by about four o'clock this morning and I was making a doll in the kitchen because I just <laughs> I woke up and my brain was just whirring away. Um, well, can I tell you something? I've cooked, I've, cooked, I've cooked one meal in my life. In your life? Apart from baked beans for the kids when they were growing up, I cooked a tuna and potato souffle in 1980. Did it sink and you never went back? It was actually all right, but I'm just, I'm so impractical, I can't tell you, it's just embarrassing. Well, Alistair, thank you so much for um, joining us today. I mean, I'm very much looking forward to um, to the second tuna souffle of your life popping up on uh, Instagram or something. <laughs> Alistair, thanks again. Not at all, my pleasure, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then I think there's a really good chance that you'll also like a lot of the other stuff we do at Tortoise. There's a load of articles that you can read on our app and online. And because we're an open newsroom, there are tons of meetings that you can go to and you can help shape our journalism and the stories that we tell from wherever you are in the world. All you need to do is get our app and you can get access to all of it. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial for our 30-day free trial. And of course, if you like this podcast, share it or give us a review or just tell somebody about it. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.